Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Rockbrook Church, good morning everybody. Thank you for being here, whether it's your first time, maybe your first time in a long time, whether you're here every week, you are welcome and wanted. It's great to see you. Thanks to everybody who's uh, serving this weekend. Maybe that's on one of our dream teams or in the uh, massive food drop we had yesterday afternoon. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. My name is Ryland. We're in part two, week two of a series that we're calling Living Hope, which is a phrase out of the book of First Peter in the New Testament. Uh, so grateful to the worship team, by the way, who, when we decided to title this Living Hope, worked up that song. Isn't that good song? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. We're going to do it whether you like it or not, whether you clapped or not. But if you missed last week, we learned that uh, Peter is writing to a group of people uh, that were severely persecuted um, in a time of between 60 and 65 A.D., and Peter wrote this under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, during a time when a very evil emperor by the name of Nero uh, was causing all sorts of problems and persecution. It was a hard time uh, to be a believer, a tough environment to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Peter wrote them to give them hope. And he gave them this idea again and again and again. He'd say, listen, this world, it's rough, but it's not your home. Uh, this is not your home. You're just passing through. You're a sojourner. You're an exile, you're a foreigner, you're an alien. This world is not your home. And because this world is not your home, starts out with you get to have a different faith in your trial. Trials are different for, for you. And trials reveal the kind of faith that you have. And trials can draw you closer to God. And you can relate to even more in your relationship with Jesus Christ because of your trial. And so we have a different kind of hope, a different kind of faith. And it, it begins, now he moves into this area that we're going to talk about this week where that faith begins to transform your character. And that's just it. If you are a follower of Jesus, friend, you are called to be different. You'll have different values, different passions. Uh, a diff you'll be a different spouse, a different kind of worker. You're going to use your time differently. You're going to use your resources differently than the world does and God is calling us into a living hope and because we have a different kind of hope a different kind of faith it transforms our character so we pick up where we left off last week and as we look at these verses we're going to see this word that's used to describe your character if if you are a Jesus follower it's going to use a word that you're going to be really uncomfortable with to describe your character uh, we're going to see a word and use a word that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. And you're going to think, uh, well, no way does this fit me. And no way is, could this message be for me. Or no way am I this kind of person. Uh, because the word that's used to describe what your character or my character as Jesus followers is to become is the word holy. Holy. God has chosen you to be holy. What does that mean? Like, what, what, what do you think of the holy, 
a holy person, what comes to your mind? Like maybe a statue of someone or some historical figure or uh, some picture hanging on the wall of somebody or some kind of saint or uh, maybe you just think of a really great, a great person you'd like to be more like and you think of just some kind of June Cleaver character or some Ted Lasso type of person who's just always kind and just seems to do the right thing and is so patient and, and we'll discover today that's, that's not holiness. In fact, you can be a really kind person, doesn't, doesn't mean you're holy. You can be a really patient person, uh, doesn't mean that you're holy. But holiness is God's calling for every believer. God calls us to live a life of holiness. God is holy. Uh, we looked at that in Foundations. If you're doing Foundations, we looked at that this last week, the holiness of God. And what we're going to see today in 1 Peter is that just as God is holy, we see in verse 16 where Peter is quoting three places in Scripture. He says, quoting God, you must be holy because I am holy. And so he's stating this in 1 Peter 1.16, but he's also quoting the Old Testament three places in Leviticus. Now these Leviticus verses, uh, if you go to those, you're going to see these commandments and, and this surrounded by these commandments that are to a chosen group of people, the Israelites, uh, to do things to separate themselves from the surrounding evil culture. And the surrounding evil cultures worshipped idols. Uh, they did not honor God. And God is commanding them to separate themselves from them. And it would include very, very specific commands. Coming down at times to uh, things that you were to not eat or drink, uh, things that you were to do, not to do, uh, even fabrics that should not be mixed uh, together. Again, the point of to separate themselves and to make them a distinct people. And some of the commands, when you get into them, they are strange. Let me say it this way. They seem strange. But keep in mind that every time we read about God giving a strange instruction to refrain from something, to do something a specific way, the command might sound bizarre to us today. And you'll see this all the time. Like um, cable news and on social media, they'll make memes out of this. It says, and did you know that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, you're commanded not to do this or to do this. Did you know this was in the Bible, uh, that you can't mix these two fabrics together? You can't do this, can't do that. You're not supposed to eat this. And it'll seem bizarre to us today, but we need to remember that that command would not have sounded bizarre to the people at that time. The restrictions were common ways of identifying your ethnicity, your religious affiliation, and the restrictions may not make sense to us, but they, the Israelites would have seen, okay, wow, we are not supposed to mix this culture with our culture, that thing with this thing, that we are not supposed to do. God is making us to be distinct and separate from these other groups of people. And now Peter is coming along and saying, while those specific commands, you're not under those, like we don't live under the law, our salvations, our faith, our faith is not a matter of what we eat or drink. But this principle applies to all of us. That, that, that God has called us to be holy and that this world is not our home. And we are to, as 1 Peter 1.17 says, live out your time as foreigners here. 
Uh, other translations might say as temporary residents, meaning again that this world is not your home. You're just passing through. You have a higher calling. You are to be distinct. God is calling you to be separate. God is calling you to be holy. What does that mean? Uh, here's the uh, original word. It means holy. It means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be pure. And I, I might add another word to this. It means to be distinct. The problem for so many is this. The biggest obstacle to fully following Christ is the desire to fit in. The biggest obstacle for so many to be faithful to God's call is the longing to look like everybody else, enjoy what everybody else is enjoying, to belong to this world, to fit in. But I hope you'll understand, Jesus followers, if you are a Christ follower today, I hope you'll understand, God did not call you to fit in. He called you to stand out. He never said that we are to blend into the things of this world, but that we are to be holy. And with that, I want to look again here at these words in 1 Peter, and the words of Peter speaking to a group of very hurting Christians who are being persecuted for being distinct, for being set apart, for being different, for being pure. And my hope is that the Spirit of God might speak to some of you in a way that would stir you, prompt you, move you, lead you to be set apart, to be different, to be pure, to be holy, because God has not called us to blend in, but he's called us to be different from this world. And what I want to look at and see is what Peter means for us to be holy. Uh, so we're just going to walk right through what he says and pull it out of the text here. And what we see in verse 13 is that Peter says, Christ followers, you are to be holy in how you think. Feel the power, feel the weight of these words. In, or, in order to be holy, you think holy thoughts. In verse 13 he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Let's just first focus on this, on this first line. Therefore, because of everything we talked about last week, the trials, trials revealing your faith, trials drawing you closer to God, because of that, have minds that are alert. With minds that are alert, some translations say prepare your mind for action. In order to act, you have to have prepared your mind to act. I, th I think we have this wish that we'll just spring into action and always do the right thing when the occasion presents itself, that we'll rise to any occasion. But we usually do not rise to the occasion. We usually fall back on our training. Most of the time, we think, then we act. I watched a video this week uh, that went viral, maybe you've seen it, of uh, a guy standing at a gas station and he's holding a grocery bag and he's talking to the clerk and a criminal walks in with a gun, another criminal following him and uh, the guy with the grocery bag turns around and sees it and just, I mean, immediately pushes the gun out of the way, whacks the guy with the bag, goes around his neck, he takes him down, the other criminal runs off and I'm like, I don't, it's the guy responded before I could even figure out what was happening on the video and you find out this guy was a Marine and he's practiced that move. And he's thought through what would happen if, if that happened before. And, and he's thought his mind is engaged that way before. And so he acted that way. When you see someone in an emergency, for instance, prioritizing the right thing, doing the right thing, uh, they've already thought through that in their mind of what it would look like 
of who would be prioritized, what we would do, and they've been trained to think that way. They've thought it through. So what are we to do with minds that are alert as Christ followers? We're to think about how to act like Christ, have a mind that's alert. If you think about how you're going to act like Jesus, you'll find yourself living like Jesus throughout the day. That's what it means to have a holy life. Uh, Let me give you just something simple to say. A worship leader friend taught me this. And um, he says this as he's walking out the door um, or at the beginning of the day. And uh, I I had a day this week. So I'll be honest, I had several days this week. We're just getting out the door in the morning was getting two kids out the door, getting them where they needed to go, uh, getting to where I needed to go, being ready to go. Then the day just takes off, and it's like, my goodness, you know, the day's over uh, before uh, you even know it, and it, 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 just, it just takes off. And so uh, I've got the kids, and we've got the jackets and the stuff they've got to take, and we've got this thing, and I've got this appointment on my mind, and they're saying all this stuff, and we're standing on the, the landing of our split-entry house ready to go down, down to the car, and I just stopped and said, Jesus, you have my attention. (laughs) Because I was just so scared that this day, I'm going to be back here at night, at the end of the day, standing on this landing, and the day's going to be gone before I know it, and have I thought about Christ? Does God have my attention? Am I going to make today count? And so, I just give you that phrase. I got it from somebody. Just stop and say, Jesus... You have my attention. My mind is alert to what you want for me today. I'm giving Christ my attention. Isn't it amazing how we always have something on our mind? Like you have something in the back of your mind right now, even as I'm preaching. And yes, you're engaged in the sermon, but there's something you're thinking about in the back of your mind. And he says, have your mind alert. Don't just give that to anything. How do you think holy thoughts? Well, you don't give your thoughts to anything. And and you've got to say, Man, God, uh, I'm reserving this for you. I'm, I'm taking my mind and I'm setting it apart. It's going to be different. It's holy. It's pure because I'm setting it on you. I'm not going to let the media control what I think about today. I'm not going to let some substance control. I'm not going to be under the influence of a substance and let that control what I think about today. You know, one, one of the paradoxes of the faith Here's where I'm getting this, because he goes on fully alert, he says, and fully sober. Have a mind that's alert, and then also, how do you think holy thoughts? You have a mind that's fully sober, meaning that it's under self-control. But the great paradox of the faith is that the only way to be self-controlled is to be spirit-controlled. It's the fruit of the spirit. Myself can be selfish or selfless. My mind can be self, under self-control, but the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he also says, well, how do you think holy thoughts? He says, you set your hope on grace. You set your hope on grace. You put all your eggs in one basket. You put all your security into the grace of God, the promises of God. And some of us, to be able to, to think holy, we need to do a securities exchange because we've put our security and our significance into uh, our kids and how they're turning out and uh, into our finances and into uh, a business deal and a job and how those things are going. And we need to do a securities exchange to be able to give our mind to Christ, to live a holy, to think holy thoughts. 
We need to put our security not in something that's out of our control, not something that's in the world, but put it in God's control, his promises for you, to be holy in the way you think. And then he's going to go on here, and, and he says, number two, if you're taking notes, be holy in what you want. 1 Peter 1, 14 says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when, when you lived in ignorance and that can kind of sound insulting, but what he's saying is you, you didn't know better before, but now you do. Like there was a time when you didn't know any better, but now that you know, God through Peter is encouraging us to have a different kind of character in the world below. A character that's in the world below, character is conformed. And character is conformed to the world around us and to the desires that we have. But God is calling us to live a character that is transformed, transformed through the power of God. A conformed character means we become like what's around us. We become our desires. Uh, without Christ, we become our desire, our desire for money or power. We become our addiction. But being transformed means you become more like Christ. Your thoughts become your desires. So you don't live out those evil desires. Obviously, uh, that is un unholy in, in what you want. How do you become holy in what you want? Well, friend, uh, just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that we don't have any unholy desires anymore. And if you think that just because I give my life to Christ, all the desires are going to go away instantly, well, then you're living with a lot of guilt. Because the truth is, we're still tempted. And the truth is, we still have a flesh that has a desire. But how do we become holy in what we want? How do we have holy desires? I, I love what First Peter says right here. He says, how do you do it? You do it as obedient children. That's how you do it. You realize, and I'm a child of God. I am loved by God. I am depending on him. He wants what's best for me. I'm trusting in him to provide what's best for me. And that's how you find yourself desiring more and more of what he wants in your life. The more I depend on myself, the more I desire unholy things. The more I depend on him, the more I desire what he wants in my life, holy things. Be holy in the way that you think. Be holy in what you want. And then he says, number three, uh, simply be holy in how you live. <laughs> we, go, we go back to these verses here that we started with. Be holy as I am holy. Live your lives as strangers. We're coming back to that again in verse 15. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a, watch this, on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in what? Say these two words with me. In reverent fear. You don't become holy or distinct because of what you do. You're made holy by his grace. And then you do the holy things that he has for you. Living it out in reverent fear. And you might say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to uh, be afraid of God. But what is reverent fear? God is our judge, yet we call him Father. The judge of the universe... <laughs> is your heavenly father. You have this closeness with this incredible power. 
and it creates a reverent fear. When I think about this, a reverent fear, I think about how someone might handle uh, electricity. If you were handling a wire and it wasn't connected to anything, it wasn't uh, wired for anything, you wouldn't think about how you were handling the wire. It wouldn't matter. The moment, though, that it's connected to power, uh, there's a reverent fear, a healthy fear of, the, of that wire and what's going on. And you go, I know this is useful. It could light up my house, but you're careful with it. You make sure it's handled properly. And when I think about electricity, uh, I think about my first overseas mission trip. Went to the Philippines with my dad, uh, Pastor Kelly, uh, went with Pastor Tom and another guy in our church named Matt Neely. And uh, we had gone from the city out into this rural place, this village, with a church. Uh, it's, it's actually on this property, and some people live there, but on this property was a church building they built, and cinder block concrete building with a metal roof. And uh, we get there, and we're meeting everyone, and having fun, and doing some ministry, and some different things. And then we go into the church building. They're going to have a, a service in there. And the building had electricity. And the worship team gets up there. But these girls that are singing uh, in the microphones, they, they've got these mats laid down. And um, they're wearing their shoes. And they've got these wired microphones. And they have these bandanas. Like they're wrapped in bandanas. And they're making sure that the mics never touch their mouth. And I'm like, what is, what is going on there? And they're just like trembling in fear of these microphones that they're singing and leading worship into. And we find out after the service that the electricity in the building is not grounded. And the microphone, when it would touch their mouth, would sting them, would shock them. And so we're, oh my goodness, the electricity in this building is not grounded. And so we're kind of going throughout our week and doing our thing. And then uh, they would go back in there for these worship services and they asked me to play bass for this song <laughs> and I um, grab a bass and I'm like okay what's going on here and it's going okay things are going all right but then I kneel down <laughs> to make an adjustment on the amp and so now I'm kneeled on this concrete floor and I go back and touch the bass and oh 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 that hurt oh and I look up and no one's responding because they're like, yeah, that's pretty much how we play the bass too, yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> Matt Neely, who we brought on the trip, happens to be an electrician. And he grounded their electrical building. Come on, someone praise God for that. They <laughs> praise Matt and they praise God that now the electricity is grounded. And you should have seen the girls singing to the microphone and you should have seen me play bass. I'll tell you what. To this day, when I pick up a bass guitar and plug it in, I'm like, you remember Joe Pesci in Home Alone where he touches the doorknob to see if it's hot? And he's like, yeah, all right, we're all good. Do, 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 do. It's grounded, everybody. Praise God, it's grounded. How do you know you have a reverent fear? Okay, if your fear makes you want to get away from God, that's not a reverent fear. That's a guilty fear. If you're guilty, you want to get as far away from him as possible. So you don't go to church. Uh, you don't hang out with your Christian friends. You don't make new Christian friends. Uh, 
and you're hoping maybe God won't notice, you're trying to get away from him. That's a guilty fear. If your fear makes you want to attack God and attack Christians, that's an angry fear or a hurting fear. And God understands your hurt. Jesus came to heal, heal your hurt. But if your fear makes you want to get closer to God, even though you have no right to be there, you want to get closer to God, that's a reverent fear. A reverent fear. Because hello, when electricity is grounded, you want to be close to it. In fact, uh, you probably live in a home that's surrounded by walls that are filled with electricity. And when it's wired properly and grounded, and there's a reverent fear and it's handled right, you want to be close to it. You want to be next to it. And so we see what happens next when we get close. So Peter just takes us aside for a second, uh, or the second time in this chapter, rather. He returns this, te- this theme of uh, salvation that we have in Christ. And it's like he's just keeping us grounded to it. Making sure that this whole talk is wired up properly. He keeps us grounded because our differences, our holiness is based in salvation. And here's how he tells us we are saved. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. How is it you were saved? Jamie, let's go back up a slide where it says you were redeemed from an empty way of life. I don't know what your life was like before Christ. May have been sad. May have been very happy. You may have been very content. I don't know if your life uh, was poor or rich or uh, what your life looked like or what emotions you had or what you were, but Peter says the point is that no matter what it was, it was empty because it wasn't leading anywhere. It wasn't going anywhere. To be saved, you've got to admit that there's something missing without him, this God-shaped vacuum in the center of your soul, a huge empty place that can only be filled with God. We're redeemed. We're redeemed out of the empty way of life, a life that, hey, it may have looked good, but it wasn't really going anywhere. Redeemed from that, how? Not with perishable things. You cannot buy your salvation. To be saved, you have to understand, you cannot earn it. The biggest, this is the biggest barrier to salvation relationship with Christ in most people's lives is they think I could, I could earn this somehow. And you certainly cannot earn, earn it with money. You can't give enough to the church, give enough away. And I don't meet a lot of people that think that, that think they could actually like with money buy their salvation. Some people do. Uh, But who I meet over and over again is people who think that with the currency of their good works, doing enough good things, uh, being thoughtful enough, balancing the scales, not being as bad as others, being kind enough, that the currency of their good works, they can earn it, that they could buy it. Uh, But those are perishable things. If we could earn salvation by what we do, like someone should have told that to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. Someone should have told him, oh, you don't have to do that because I could earn it. Now he knew, friend, you could never earn it. It's a gift of salvation that he earns for us and he gives 
to us. And he died to give the gift of salvation in my life. Not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. And to be saved, you trust in the gift that was given to you when Jesus died on the cross. Because it's not kind people who are in heaven. It's not good people who are in heaven. It's not charitable people who are in heaven. It's forgiven people who are in heaven. It's saved people who are in heaven. You trust in the blood of Jesus. Peter says he's a lamb without blemish. He's reminding us that the whole Old Testament is forward-looking to the blood of Jesus being given for us. John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And in heaven, we're going to sing, worthy is the Lamb. And if you haven't trusted him for salvation, like be grounded to that. Peter's just taking this aside again to say, hey, get that right. All of eternity is going to be enjoyed by that moment. Be grounded in this salvation. Holy living cannot happen apart from Christ. In fact, if I were just to sum up this section right here, it would be with this. is the holy living is not the pathway to knowing Christ. It's not like, oh, I, I need to, man, I'm lost. I don't know God. I don't feel close to God. I need to think holy thoughts. I need to have holy wants. I need to uh, live a holy life and do these holy things. And then maybe uh, God will let me know him. No, the pathway, that is not the pathway, knowing Christ. You can know Christ today. And that's the pathway to being distinct, to being pure, to being different, to being set apart, to being holy. So Peter says there's salvation. Let's make sure we're grounded in that. That's what holy living is based on. And then he goes again back to the difference it makes in your character. And in verse 22, he says, now that you have purified yourselves, how? By obeying the truth. So (laughs) trusting in Jesus for salvation. You don't purify yourself. You have been purified by obeying the truth. Living out this new character when he talks about obeying the truth is trusting, obedience and trusting Christ for your salvation. You don't purify yourself by your good works after being saved any more than you purify yourself before being saved. And so this obeying Christ in salvation, then out of that purity, out of that decision, so you have a sincere love for each other. Loving one another, love one another deeply from the heart. So Peter says you love one another because you've been reborn by this enduring word. And when you realize, like when I realize that I don't deserve it, I don't look down on those who aren't as holy. When you realize you do not deserve it, you don't look down on those who aren't as holy as you. Uh, it's, it's not as though you're refusing these certain things from the world or doing these certain things or you reprioritize your time because it's anything to do with you. It's out of the grace of God. So he says, out of this holiness, it, you love one another. You, you don't look down on other people. You love them. For verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah where he says, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Trust what's eternal in your life. When you come to Christ, you are trusting what's eternal. Whenever I, I see this Isaiah quote, hear it in sermons or 
uh, see it quoted in the New Testament. Um, I think of going to the store and buying glue. Anybody ever been to Lowe's and seen the glue section and how many different things of glue there are? And uh, so I just picture, um, and they all have a guarantee on them. And so I picture there's going to the store, there's three different types of glue, and you pick up one, and it says guaranteed for five minutes. Five-minute glue, guaranteed for five minutes. Nah, I don't want that one. Pick up another one, it says guaranteed for 50 years. 50 years. Oh, that's pretty good, but like I really need this thing to be glued, you know. I need it glued good. So put that one back, pick up another one, it says guaranteed, stays glued forever, forever. That's the one I'm buying. That's the one I'm got. I want this thing to be glued for a long time. I want this thing glued. Peter's saying, if you want what lasts, if you want what lasts, don't rely on anything on this planet. Because it's guaranteed to last for like five minutes. It's quickly fading. I mean, my life is like, grass like a flower of the field it withers and falls other places in scripture call our life a mist it's just here and it's gone like why would I put any security any hope any faith anything in that which is guaranteed to last for almost no time you say don't depend on that which is quickly fading to give you eternal life or a holy character depend on God's word God's promises, they're guaranteed to last forever. And so the question I want to close this, this part of 1 Peter with is, will I be a person of the world, which the guarantee doesn't last long, or will I be a person of the word? And this week, am I going to be a man of the world or a man of the word? What has my attention this week? World, you have my attention or is it Jesus? You have my attention. The world around us it has some good things in it. And there's good things that God has for us to do in the world. But it's not our hope. It will not endure. And maybe your character has gotten caught up in the bad of this world uh, to make you feel better in some pain or to meet some need. But friend, it's temporary. The word of salvation, the word of joy, the word of peace, the word of grace, that's the eternal glue. How do I know if I'm becoming a person of the world. I, I just put a, a few questions. I was going to put these in the talk it over notes, so I just thought I'd put them as reflection here at the end of the sermon. And that is, just think on these. Create the, these in action step. Is What are three areas I struggle most trying to fit in? Like, think about it. Be really honest. What, what are the areas that I'm struggling trying to fit in? When is the time I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? Like, yes, I know God would not have me to do this thing, and I know God is calling me out of that thing to be separate and distinct, but I'm putting the way I would feel the happiness that I have in that over his call for holiness. What are the biggest ways that I am different from this world? And if you're, gonna, if you're a Jesus follower, there's going to be some ways you're different. Celebrate those. And then this is probably the biggest area that God is showing us to be different. Just simply, what is the area that God is calling me to be holy, calling me to be different? Friend, we're never called to blend in. As Jesus followers, we're called to stand out, to be set apart, to be different in the way that we live. I mean, why would we want to be normal anyway? Have you looked around at the tension, at the fear? I want to be holy because God is holy. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that when we know Christ, there's this inward spiritual transformation that begins to happen. And Lord, we come to you with our temptations and our weaknesses, and we surrender to the, uh, them to you once again. Lord, help us to be distinct, to be pure, to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, we don't care if they laugh if they criticize. Lord, we're living for an audience of one because of who Jesus is. And because of what he did, we are holy. And we want to build our life on something that's eternal, something that will last. And God, we pray that based on your eternal word, we would live with a holy character today. Not one that reflects the world around us, one that reflects the hope, the grace, the peace that you give us, the salvation that you give us. Let us live with character. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.